Yeah, I like recording ahead of time because sometimes like people prior to us starting say something interesting or say something yeah. funny, and we're just like, oh, I wish I got that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how much of, of my humor is going to come across, but just, you know, try to keep it under wraps. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just as long as it's like just sort of a natural conversation, it's good. Yeah. So this these were some thinking questions that you asked, by the way. I like the episodes to be good for people who are developing programming to think about like objectives and strategies. So I, I tried to like, yeah, right. Get, 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 have questions that like get people to think about how they do things and why they do things. So um, I know that this is not going to make it to the episode, but we should have a conversation about podcasting. That is super yeah. interesting. I'm I'm totally envious of your setup at home. <laughs> I mean, it, it's actually pretty cheap. The funny thing is, I initially yeah. bought like nicer stuff, um, and then like everything just sounds like shit, right? Like, uh, because right, like I'm not in a studio, so if you have like a studio uh, quality mic, what ends up happening is you pick up all the stupid noises in your house, and then like when yeah. you're trying to clean it up, like it just sounds not good. And then I, you know, uh, and I just thought like maybe I'll try the exact opposite and just like buy like old like 90s style mic that like is super not sensitive and like misses out most of the noise and misses the sound and then just like talk really loud <laughs> that worked out for you yeah. huh <laughs> the secret is low fidelity uh right yeah uh, right. yeah because that gets rid of make, you don't pick up the background noise and then uh i mean the thing is right like uh podcasts because there's such big audio files get like uploaded as low fidelity mp3s anyway so you know yeah and uh, talking about background notes i was just reaching into a bag to get my drink so I, i'm ready for the next couple hours <laughs> i have two drinks sitting in front of me uh no i mean that's fine like i think some background noise is just natural uh right like uh, when i was recording with uh um yeah when i was oh. re uh recording with sean Schaffner, like he like it was just like he I caught him when he was like, like I was recording with him when he was like on a tour, like doing speaking engagements, and like, it was like oh. I was like catching him between like things, so like he was like trying to like eat lunch and talk to me at the same time, so I was like eating soup while he's talking. <laughs> but you know, that's fine. I think these are meant to be sort of like you know, like I like the feel to be you know. I'm at a conference somewhere, ran into like someone I know and then just start chatting to him about something and then just happened to catch it. Cause I, I think there, yeah. that was the sort of inspiration I had when I was creating the podcast was just like, uh, I feel like when I go to like professional development, like opportunities at conferences and workshops, I actually find that I learned the most from just like, you know, that those times that everyone's sitting, having coffee before something or like sitting at the bar, like after a talk and just chatting about it. Yeah. No, definitely. Hi, I'm Clement Lou, and welcome to the third season of Just Sustainability. In this episode, I have the distinct pleasure of introducing you to a longtime friend and colleague, Simone Franco. Simone is the Assistant Director of Student Activities and Leadership at the University of Minnesota Morris. He's the creator and coordinator of the Morris Leadership Education and Development Program, also known as MLEAD. MLEAD is one of the core elements of the innovative sustainability leadership minor that we have on our campus. 
Ask Simone to be on the podcast because he spent the better part of the previous decade thinking about how to prepare students to be effective drivers of social change in ways that are informed and reflective of their cultures and identities. Here's how Simone introduces himself. Let's get started. So I'll start with the first question that I always ask, which is, you know, who's Simone Franco in the words of Simone Franco? Yeah. Well, um, first of all, thank you, Clement, for um, having me on your show. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, who am I? <clears throat> well, I think I, I always, when I get that question, I, I go back to like mm-hmm. where I come from, right? And and uh, that is sort of emblematic as to how I think about some of these issues we're going to be talking about today. Okay. Um, I, I'm originally from Venezuela. I've been in the United States now for... Uh, gosh, 17, 18 years. Okay. And um, I came to the U.S. in 2004 to go to school. But before that, I pretty much had a, a whole nother life. I like to say that I've lived like three <laughs> or four different distinct lives yeah. in my lifetime. Um, so uh, I was born and raised in Venezuela. Um, from very early on, um, you know, I, I tell my students I, uh, I was mm-hmm. born – in the early eighties and um, just around the time that the best movie in the world sort of came out. And uh, we, uh, we have conversations about that because we discuss right. movies, but um, you know, Top Gun, okay. came out. I, I call it the best <laughs> movie in the world. Uh, Top Gun came out. And then the other sort of B movies of the era uh, that related to uh, pilots, right. right? Like Iron Eagle yeah. and, that kind of stuff. I would say so, Iron Eagle is actually a better uh, movie. I I would tend to agree. Yes. Uh, um, you know, like uh, so, Top Gun and uh, Iron Eagle and uh, 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 a uh, Officer and a Gentleman. Mm-hmm. So all those movies from the eighties, early eighties, uh, were part of my uh, were were foundational right. for me, right? And and I I grew up watching these shows in Venezuela and. Um, I my I remember one of my first thoughts that I can remember was, you know what I want to mm-hmm. do that I want to be a pilot. So, um, that was pretty much my my first decision that I can remember. And I grew up thinking that I was going to be right. a pilot. So, um, from early on, my entire life sort of revolved around that notion. And um, by the time I was twelve, and I was done w- with my primary mm-hmm. school. Um, I decided at that age that I was going to go to a uh, military academy to finish my uh, high school experience. Yeah. And so I did. Uh, my parents uh, obliged me and um, uh, they enrolled me in a military yeah. academy. Um, and my mother always says that that was my decision, that they had nothing to do with it. And I tend to agree. I don't think they really pushed yeah, me that I, way. I mean, I, I met your parents. They wouldn't strike me as the folks that was, would push their kid into a, a military <laughs> academy. <laughs> maybe exact, the exact opposite, maybe even. I would suspect they tried to discourage you at a few points. Yeah. So, uh, well, and, and you know, in, in at that time in the um, 80s and like 90s and two, early 2000s uh-huh. in Venezuela, that was really a, a viable career okay. choice. You know, it was like, if you uh, became an officer um, in any of the armed forces, you were pretty much set for the okay. rest of your life. So, so I don't think my parents uh, discouraged me, but they also didn't push me in that right. direction. So, uh, and and then I went into the Air Force Academy um, 
at the age of 16. Uh, and it sounds impressive, but everybody sort of graduates around that time in okay. Venezuela. So don't uh, read too much into that. <laughs> um, and I spent three years there, but there was a sort of a new political power had gotten to, into place with Hugo Chavez and things mm. were changing. And I just couldn't see myself as a part of that system. So in many ways, I, I made a subconscious decision to mm -hmm. leave um, and, um, you know, to, to be completely honest, I was already done with it. But at the same time, I also failed one okay. class. So uh, I failed my um, an applied physics course okay. that was sort of required. And um, that was a big no-no. And so I, um, I uh, ended my association both um, personally and institutionally with the Venezuelan military okay. that way. Uh, and then um, I started looking for uh, opportunities to continue my studies. And, and that's how I actually found mm -hmm. Morris through some friends who were in the area. Uh, and at the time, international students here, Morris paid uh, right. in-state tuition. So that was actually a no-brainer for me. So that's how I ended up here. But this whole background uh, is to say that, you know, notions about leadership and what that means, particularly from a, a martial perspective, have been part of my life, you know, since since I can remember. So, uh, one of the interesting anecdotes that um, I think about, particularly um, when I was, uh, and we'll get to this, but when I was developing our leadership program here, right. was that in in those formative years, you know, um, when I was like thirteen or so, at that um, military uh, high school. Mm -hmm. We used to carry with us, it was part of our uniform. We needed to carry these laminated mm. cards that said that, that set the precepts for what command and leadership were. Mm -hmm. So that was super interesting. Uh, if you ask me today, I can't remember. Do what you remember said. roughly like uh, um, any, like any idea, like mm. sort of the gist? Um, well, it were, it was more, it was actually. If I if I'm completely honest with you, one of the things that mm -hmm. I remember the most was always about caring for the people okay. that you lead, right? And and so that was sort of the gist of okay. it. It was very much though uh, leader centric, but it was also about taking care of the people that you commanded and that you that right. followed you. So um, that that got ingrained in my brain, and that is one of the ways that I've always thought about leadership and how I approach leadership at whatever level. Um, but um, so then fast forward, I came to the U.S. Uh, to go to school. Um, I have uh, a degree in political mm -hmm. science, and uh, I also have a, um, a major in um, management from the University of Minnesota. <clears throat> and I graduated into like the worst recession <laughs> that we've seen in, in a while. So in 2008, I yeah. graduated. And as an international student, you know, there are a lot of restrictions. So trying to get a job was sort of difficult. Uh, I ended up working construction for a couple of seasons, mm -hmm. actually. And that actually sort of broadened my perspective as to, you know, what I wanted to do with my life and um, gave me a lot of time to think about uh, leadership and how it applies to society and different mm -hmm. aspects and so on and so forth. But then I actually, after that, I got a job here at the university working in equity and diversity. And that was, uh, although I was very involved as a, as a college student with uh, identity-based mm -hmm. organizations, 
um, you know, I was completely ignorant of all of the theory and, and that, that, um, shapes the, the field of equity and diversity. Mm-hmm. So my first year in that position was actually spent doing a lot of reading. One of the things that, uh, listeners and and you climate should know is that i'm a voracious Mm -hmm. reader i love reading uh anything that and everything that sort of comes across uh on my desk so through uh, my supervisor and i sort of spent some time discussing different theories different uh resources so i learned a lot in that experience in Mm -hmm. that position and then um i moved now i moved to the the position that i have now after that uh, here in the Office of Student Activities, um, which was an opportunity to really formalize what I thought and what mm-hmm. I wanted to do with these ideas mm-hmm. of leadership. Because part of my job was to develop a, or has been to develop a leadership program for undergraduate students at the university. Given that Simone's introduction of himself seemed to me to revolve around the theme of leadership and thinking about leadership, I asked him how he defined the concept. His answer, which conceptualizes leadership as activity-based, as well as focused on relationships and communities, seems to be quite different from how leadership is often understood within the post-Enlightenment West. Here's what he said. I do have a, a, a question, right? So yeah. I want just to ask you, like, right, like if someone asked you to, I don't know, provide the elevator speech about, like, how you think about leadership, what would you say? Like, how, how do you think about leadership? Oh, um, well, so... I subscribe to a definition of leadership, and actually I use this in, mm-hmm. in our program, um, that is uh, pushed forth by um, this, uh, it, it's Norhouse's definition mm-hmm. of leadership, which is that um, leadership is a process by which an individual um, influences a group of individuals to achieve mm-hmm. a common goal. And that really, uh, so that actually gave me the language to be able to talk about how I think about leadership. So I really subscribe to that yeah. definition, right? So it is a person that uses their influence to get other people motivated to achieve right. a common goal. Now, what that goal is, uh, it bar- varies from group mm-hmm. to group, of course. So uh, at the end of the day, that common goal is change. You are trying to change something. You're trying to accomplish right. something. And that's how I think about leadership, right? right? Um, and that is the elevator, like the 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 22nd definition that I can give you and of how I think about mm-hmm. leadership. But beyond all of that, I think that when you start studying these notions of leadership, one of the things that happens is that you realize that there is no leadership without the followers, right? right? Um, in In Western society, we spend a lot of time thinking about the leader as the most important part of any leadership right. endeavor. When in reality, the leader is important since, uh, because they're uh, providing the, the, the motivation mm-hmm. for the group, but it is the group that is going to accomplish the common right. goal. So that is going to change right. things. So in that sense, what I like about that definition and the reason why I subscribe to it is because it is a, a, a process, right? It is an inter- it, the interchange between the leader and the followers that really accomplishes what we're yeah. trying to do. So it's not um, leadership doesn't exist in a vacuum. Leadership is something that is a, it, leadership is is a is a verb, right? right? Is is right. doing? 
it, it operationalizes change. Yeah, and it also sounds like leadership is relational, right? So like, uh, right, like so leadership isn't something that's intrinsic. It's something that's uh, it's not extrinsic. Not what I'm going for, but it is relational, right? Like leadership happens in an interaction between people. Correct. There is no, there's, as I, as I said, there's no leadership right. in a vacuum, right? It's not. Um, and, and in that sense, and one of the, the things that is most important is to realize that there is uh, some sort of formalized leadership uh, that is granted by positional right. authority, but that is not sufficient. Right. It is about how you relate to other people and how you're able to inspire right. them. That actually gets to that leadership, that movement, that changing of yeah, things. Yeah, so uh, I think this actually gives me an opportunity to ask a question that I want to ask you, which is: so when you're trying to teach leadership, what sorts of like skills or knowledge or attitudes do you th- are you trying to teach? Right. So, like, if leadership is this relational thing where it's in their interaction between you know the the person that's being leadery and the people that are like kind of you know, part of the community making change. Uh, how does, how do you teach people to be more leadery? How do you teach them to be able to have those relationships when they do help inspire, uh, right? Collective change. Yeah. So, um, when I, when I was thinking about teaching leadership and how to develop yeah. a program for people to learn about this stuff, one of the things that, uh, I, uh, I got from graduate school and I, and it stuck mm-hmm. with me is, um, you know, Pope and Reynolds definition of capacity building. Okay. Um, and their definition of capacity building was the acquisition of knowledge, awareness, and skills. Yes. Um, you know, in an area. And one of the things that I quickly realized, well, I realized two things as I was getting ready and studying mm-hmm. this stuff. One was that, um, the literature on leadership, spends a lot of time talking about leadership mm-hmm. skills, but very little time on defining leadership skills. Okay. So explain what, what do you mean by like it? It says a lot about leadership skills, but doesn't give enough time like defining them. Yeah. So a lot of theorists um, talk about, you know, that the, about the fact, and, and actually this is sort of um, common knowledge that we need to spend time developing these leadership right, right. skills, right? We talk about, we need to develop skills that that will make us better leaders, blah, blah, blah. But we don't spend enough time saying like, okay, this is a list of the skills that you need to have right. as a leader. So one of the things that I, I realized, um, and I've been fortunate enough that I work in a college campus, is that I live in a place and I work in a place that is designed to help students develop right. skills. So I quickly realized that leadership skills are just skills that people may or may not have okay and uh the way i go about this is uh again i i've spent a lot of time thinking about this but the way i go about trying to explain this to people is like i ask them okay well so what are leadership skills and then of course a list may come out right like well communication skills time Mm -hmm. management you know um those are the the two biggest ones that always come and and i say well okay but shouldn't everybody have communication Mm -hmm. skills Right? Shouldn't everybody have time management mm-hmm. skills? So in reality, for me, uh, leadership skills are just skills that people should have, whether they're in leadership positions or not. Okay. The crux of the argument, though, is how do you use those skills? Okay. Right. And that is where um, the the skills conversation for me, where it becomes okay. interesting. 
again, going back to, to that definition of leadership, it's about using those skills for you to be able to influence other right. people. So, um, you know, let's talk about time management, for example. So it's, it's your time management skills as a leader what will allow you to keep the group moving forward at a pace that is acceptable for right. the group. No, so it, it so it sounds like what you're saying something is like right. The skills necessary for leadership are just sort of the skills necessary for being a fully functional, competent adult. The leadership comes in like right. in the application and the attitude that you have towards those skills and how you think about using them. Correct. So, um, so then as a, going back to Bob and Reynolds, uh, skills are just one aspect right. of it, right? So then the other two are knowledge and awareness. And I think that that is where I have decided since, again, I, I work in a place that is designed to develop skills and undergra right, right. for undergraduates in these areas. I have decided that when I want to teach people about leadership, particularly in this right. environment, um, I need to focus on the other okay. two parts, right? The, the skill, skills development part is not part of Right, because it's already happening. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Um, so we do talk about skills, but we talk about how to use those skills instead of how to develop those skills. Does that make sense? There's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there. that makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. So it makes sense to think of it that way because presumably in their classes and in the other programming, the co-curricular programming students are involved in, they are learning a range of skills about what it mean, what would be useful for a person to be, for a person that's entering into a career, right? So they are, they presumably are learning a host of ways to do stuff as they're picking up, right? Sort of content knowledge, uh, and right, correct. And then so it, it, the leadership oh. part, it does make sense to say that, like, the thing that might not they might not receive elsewhere is how to frame those skills and how to apply those skills in ways that allow them to more effectively right work within a team or shift a team or guide a team or right like to engage in the sort of like solidarity and coalition building that's required for making big scale social change yeah correct well and and i want my students to think about when they come through my program one of the things that i wanted to think about is always think about that change right, right? like what is it that we're trying to accomplish what is it that you're trying to change and how do you build those groups in a way that uh, everybody sort of shares a, a, a common vision as to what the right. goal is. How do you achieve that goal? That may change, but group formation is uh, part of that, the whole of leadership, right. right? Because again, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. So um, the other two things uh, I was mentioning is that, uh, you know, the, the acquisition of awareness and skills is sort of where I focus. Uh, awareness and, and uh, knowledge and awareness is sort of where I focus. Right. And so um, for me, a lot of it is learning about different uh, leadership models okay. and le learning about um, other concepts that they may not have encountered. Like, for example, group development and group dynamics. Right. right? I mean, there are entire bodies of literature devoted to this stuff, but it's not necessarily a, a, a specific course that you're going to take on it. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? So um, I spend a lot of time when I'm teaching people about leadership in, um, you know, talking about leadership theories, like what are, how do we define um, uh, leadership? And beyond that, um, who defines leadership, right? right? And how, 
uh, depending on where we're coming from, leadership means different things for different people. And um, I, I give them some examples. We have some fun with uh, some case studies. Um, and uh, we actually even explore the dimensions mm -hmm. of leadership from a cultural specific context, right? Right. And, and to your, for your listeners, an example is like, you know, in, in our Western society, we uh, believe that a leader, one of the things a leader does is like, you know, he had a leader has good eye contact and maintains eye right. contact. And I think you, you, I think you stopped yourself from saying it, but I think we, in the Western context, we do often think of leaders as he's right. Like, I think that is a right. right. Like centuries, millennia of patriarchy has led people or has right, built in that implicit bias for most of us to think that leaders are men, tall men, you know, right. tall men with right. steely eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, unwavering uh, eye contact. Yes. So uh, beyond that, though, one of the things and, and that is actually a really interesting point, because one of the one of the questions I ask my students uh, in the in my uh, in the first part of my mm -hmm. program is, you know, where do we get these notions of leadership? Who teaches yeah. us at, who is a leader and and who did we see as leaders as we were growing up? Right. And here's where I usually talk to people about uh, yeah. Top Gun. Um, <laughs> And and I tell them, you know, if you haven't noticed, I don't look like Maverick at all. Yeah. So, because I don't, uh, particularly because I'm six foot tall guy, and and I know that Tom Cruise <laughs> is not. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, you know, I asked them. I'm like, growing up, who did you see as leaders? And depending where they're coming from, you know, it's like parents and teachers mm -hmm. and uh, elders in their communities, and and it's like, okay, so then what qualities did they have, like? why were these people chosen as leaders? And inevitably, you know, we go back to the Western centric uh, definition of leadership. Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's a, uh, it's the person that is out there that is outspoken, that is, you know, pushing for change, but not realizing that they're not, you know, alone. They're not the lone wolf mm -hmm. doing that. Uh, it's a group effort. So it is, it is really interesting talking to people about, uh, these notions of leadership, when you get them to think about like, where are you getting those notions? Right. right? And you quickly realize it. Cause then the, the question that inevitably, inevitably follows is, did you, did those people look like right. you? Right. Uh, and, and then we come to the issue of representation, right? right. Uh, that in the, in the media, for example, like we don't see people that, um, look like me, uh, you know, Hispanic, mm -hmm. Uh, necessarily all that much in positions of leadership, right? And in society, we don't see that women of color, particularly. Right. And what does that mean, right? Like that means that we're perpetuating the Western centric approach and and the Western centric uh, notions of right. leadership by and by doing that, we are contributing to the loss of knowledge from other right. communities that. Uh, live alongside with us. So, um, you know, and of course I, I refer to uh, primarily the native American communities that are here in the United States. Right. 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 Who have, who, where who seem to me to have very different sort of notions of leadership than folks, right. Like who are more informed by Euro American sort of, uh, conceptions of leadership or perspectives. Right. And, and, you know, again, going back to the, to the, to the uh, uh, 
you know, eye contact part, right? Like for some of these uh, Native American communities, that is actually a, a sign of disrespect. Right. So uh, you and for some other cultures too. So that means that uh, think we perpetuate these notions um, foregoing the knowledge of other cultures. Right. So, I mean, that is, uh, of course, a, a, a lengthier conversation about epistemologies, <laughs> but um, I think I think it's it's important for students and it's important for everybody to realize that you know our notions are guided through what we have experienced, right. and this is a self perpetuating right. system. We've reached a good place to end this episode. To review, we learned a bit about Simone and how he thinks about leadership. More specifically, Simone told us about how leadership is active and relational, and how it's important to attend to the shared values of a community when it comes to making social change. He further noted that often when we think about how we might influence folks, we have a very Western notion of what a leader looks like, a perception of leadership that doesn't fit in many contexts. In the next episode of Just Sustainability, we return to listening to the conversation that I had with Simone, and we'll learn more about the program we created at UMN Morris. Thank you for listening to Just Sustainability. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. Just Sustainability is recorded with the support of the Institute in the Environment at the University of Minnesota. In particular, I want to thank Peter Levin and Beth Mercer-Taylor for all their help with this show. All the music on Just Sustainability is composed and recorded by Clifton Nesseth, and all the artwork was created by Kristen Nesseth. Thank you again for listening.